Welcome to Fringe with Benefits podcast, where we delve into the mysterious and the unknown. Each episode, we will explore the realms of conspiracy theories and paranormal phenomena, seeking to uncover the truth behind the headlines and the whispers. From government cover-ups to ghostly encounters, we'll leave no stone unturned in our quest for knowledge. Join us as we venture into the shadows and uncover the secrets that lie beyond the veil. Grab a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage and sit back, get ready to have your mind expanded and your beliefs challenged. The truth is out there and we're here to find it. Because I'm coming to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. All right, let's get to talking about some weird stuff. Are you ready? Are you ready for some weird stuff? All right, here we go. Busted into Stacy's socials. Uh, so I collect all these articles and <laughs> there's so much content out there, but I collect a bunch of articles and then I slap it into a Word document and then I take the highlights of that and then I bring them to you here because we obviously do not see the same things on the internet. Otherwise, I think that most people would be just as pissed off as me and you are. Okay, first is a Zero Hedge article about public outrage and massive pushback has ensued after an interview with White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre asserted that the three U.S. troops killed by the drone strike in Jordan had died fighting on behalf of this administration. So this happened a while ago. I'm a little bit behind with reporting the news to you guys. But in case you didn't hear about it, we lost three troops in Jordan. They make this ridiculous comment that they fought on behalf of the administration. So this is what she said. Our deepest, obviously our deepest condolences go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families who lost uh, three, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three brave, Three folks who are military folks, who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf of uh, this administration. This is what she told MSNBC. And then she had a moment, she quickly corrected by adding, after administration, the words of, of the American people. Obviously more so, but more importantly. This reveals the apparent thinking and approach of this administration. Jeremy Redfern, press secretary for Florida, Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis was one of the many who slammed her statements as disgusting. He tweeted, Say what you will about this word salad, but the idea that anyone in the military is fighting on behalf of any administration is precisely what is wrong with the D.C. ruling class. I will have to agree with that. The identities of the three Americans who tragically lost their lives were serving in the same unit based out of Georgia. It was Sergeant William Rivers, 46, of Carrollton, Specialist Kennedy Ladon Sanders, 24, of Waycross, and Specialist Brianna Moffat, 23, of Savannah. Surprising details and admissions had emerged out of the Pentagon connected to the drone attack on Jordanian, 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 <laughs> Jordanian based Tower 22, related to the question of how the base's anti-air defenses could have failed so badly. There were some key questions that were not being addressed addressed amid the frenzy of international reporting and growing speculation. So the reporting so far does not answer many arising questions. Tower 22 is on the Jordanian side of the border, but Jordan insists that no attack happened on its grounds. Another anomaly is the high rate of wounded from the alleged drone strike. Drones are used in mass in the Ukraine war, but the casualties they cause are usually less than a handful per drone. The highly automated short and medium range air defenses, CRAMs, the equivalent of naval phalanx, phalanx guns, I don't know if I pronounced that right, at the base should be able to shoot down any drone, so why did, weren't they working? Some of these questions were being answered. Wall Street Journal cited U.S. officials who spoke on the failure of the base's anti-air defenses said... The U.S. failed to stop a deadly attack on American military outposts in Jordan because the enemy drone approached its target at the same time a U.S. drone was also returning. So they basically thought it was a U.S. drone. The return of the U.S. drone led to some confusion over whether the incoming drone was a friend or foe. Enemy drone was launched from Iraq by a militia backed by Tehran, U.S. officials said, and the outpost, Tower 22, sits in Jordan. 
hard on the borders of Iraq and Syria. In total, three U.S. service members died and 34 were injured, eight of these having been medically evacuated to a hospital in Germany. At a moment, some U.S. congressional hawks are clamoring to start a war with Iran. Wall Street Journal writes, the U.S. has yet to find evidence thus far that Iran directed the attack. That's what the U.S. defense officials said. Iran has vehemently denied that it was behind the attack. Now, Iranian allies are bracing for major U.S. response, and they said, we do not want a wider war with Iran. We do not want a wider war with the region. We got to do what we got to do, says National Security Spokesman John Kirby. He goes on to say, we certainly know Iran is backing these groups. We are taking it very seriously. It's never a good sign when the NSC, which is absolutely the most insider of the deep state, shrugs. Okay, he said, we certainly know Iran is backing these groups. We are taking it very seriously. The reporter in this article says it's never a good sign when the NSC, which is the most insider of the deep state, shrugs and says, we got to do what we got to do when it comes to matters of war, which is terrifying. Another thing I wanted to cover was the official story is about this um, underground tunnel under this Jewish synagogue, a very famous Brooklyn Jewish synagogue. The official story says a new video shows the secret underground tunnel dug by a group of young Orthodox Jewish men is at the core of a bizarre dispute with religious leaders. Tunnel was discovered by rabbis in December who were horrified that the young men had burrowed it from the Shabbat Lubavitch Synagogue in Crown Heights. Local site Crown Heights Info reported that it led all the way to a women's mikvah at the end of the street several houses away. However, the operators of that women's mikvah says it does not. Instead, connects with the synagogue of an out-of-use historic men's mikvah at 770 Eastern Parkway. The NYPD has not confirmed exactly where the tunnel leads, what it's being used for, or what the young men have been charged with. Sources at the synagogue insist it is not a tunnel, instead it's part of unofficial expansion that's been in the works for years. Young men had grown tired of waiting for the expansion, took matters into their own hands. Smokey Girl on X said, Brooklyn, New York have been closed up, no real investigation, no media coverage, no new updates, and now we're bombing Yemen. So this, a lot of these reports are blaming teenagers. There's lots of mixed reports. Some saying it was connecting other buildings. Some saying it didn't. And there's one thing that you cannot dispute is that Hasidic Jews hold a lot of power in this area. Um, Nathaniel Kapner on Stu Peters called this a nothing burger. And there's also mikvah ritual bath underground rainwater that they use for their underground ritual baths, which is really weird. Um, to, to kind of stay on the subject is an article, well, not so much an article, but just basically a statement about the protocols of the learned elder of Zion. And if you've ever read these protocols there, they will floor you. They will absolutely floor you. But every source that you can find on Google, on any search engine out there, says that it's a hoax, that it's a conspiracy theory, and that it's basically just a bunch of anti-Semitic nonsense. So this is a disclaimer by the author on the article that I've linked below. uh, Jewish people have been blamed for everything from the Black Death to the Russian Revolution. Rarely has such race hate found more notorious expression than in the protocols of the learned elder of Zion. The work purports to be a verbatim transcript of speeches made by a secret council of Jewish leaders, but this document that most people refer to is Russian propaganda, and for the last hundred years it has been repeatedly been shown to be a fraud. I'm not so sure about that. Um, That's just my little comment. Since the protocols was published and fraud subsequently exposed, all references to it have served either purposely or inadvertently to deflect attention away from the conspirators onto Jews and mask the existence of a plan, according to researchers, is found in earlier documents. Those who are plotting to control the world 
blame the Jews, then hide behind the cover of the anti-Jewish rhetoric they foment and use it to push forward, forward with their plans, do not fall for their tricks. Definitely something to think about, but you just cannot brush aside some of the language that's being used in some of these documents or some of these banned books. I mean, look at some of the books that have been banned and you can no longer find them. And what do they say in them? And who's reading them? And who are they, who are they calling out as being consumers of this information? And why is this information so dangerous? It's, uh, it's kind of hairy, if you ask me. Keep an open mind, folks. Next is a list of known or suspected, since we're with the underground theme, underground bases. The purpose of each and how they're all set up and any other info known about them. Also, the percent of state acreage federally owned. Okay, so percentage owned by federal and state government combined. Nevada is a whopping 89.2% owned by federal and state governments. Alaska, 96.8% owned by federal state governments. Utah, 67.9%. I've got, <laughs> I got a really great book on these deep underground military bases in America. And I'm going to read you an excerpt from that. And I think this is going to be kind of a, an, a thing that we do every episode to read just a little bit of this until we finish it off because it's really fascinating. Unknown to most Americans is a dark secret and it's right under our noses. The reality of the existence of deep underground military bases. These underground bases get prominent play in dark rumors circulating about captured extraterrestrials and alien technology. The fringe culture rumors of underground alien-human shenanigans are in reality fed by leaks from questionable individuals, usually with intelligence connections. They are simply a ploy utility for the status quo. The whole captured alien hardware story is just a highly elaborate hoax to discredit those exposing the reality of these bases. They are also a cover for the wholesale looting of the federal treasury by a corrupt and cynical secret government. After Hurricane Katrina left the Gulf Coast region totally devastated, there were many witnesses coming forward with reports of UNMNTF and UNISF troops working along the army of the Republic of Mexico soldiers in the New Orleans area. When the day of martial law comes to, in America, the UNICEF and UNMNTF troops, I don't know what that stands for, located in Central America, in the U.S. and Canada, will be deployed to help round up the millions of Americas whose name appear on the CIA Red List and the CIA Blue List. These troops are Chinese, Russian, German, Polish, Japanese, Ukrainian, Saudi Arabian, Pakistani, Mexican, Honduran, Salvadorian, and Chilean. Many are stationed in the deep underground military bases. When that day comes in America, do not expect Fox News Network, NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, BBC, News 24, or Reuters to give a full or accurate account of the truth. Mass detention in camps and underground bases along with mass executions will occur like they have in many other countries, very much like in uh, Cambodia, Russia, China, Germany, Poland, Armenia, Georgia, Belarusa, Hungary, and the Ukraine over the past hundred years. The best option for many Americans will have a safe place in a remote area where you can hide. The America you and your forefathers knew is coming to an end thanks to the Illuminati-controlled secret government, and now they want America to become a third world nation ruled by fascist police state under their dictatorial control. This obviously cannot be achieved if America stays the way it is, with many still being relatively well off and still possessing firearms. Only the people of America can stop the coming American Holocaust from occurring. In America alone, there are over 120 deep underground military bases situated under most cities. U.S. Air Force bases, U.S. Navy bases, and U.S. Army bases, as well as underneath FEMA, military training camps, and Department of Homeland Control Centers. There are also many deep underground military bases under Canada. Almost all of these bases are over two miles underground and have diameters ranging up for, from 10 miles up to 30 miles across. They've been building these bases day and night unceasingly since the 1940s. These bases are typically 
were basically large cities underground connected by high-speed magneto-levity trains that have speeds up to 1,500 miles per hour. Several books have been written about this activity. Richard Souter, a PhD architect, risked his life by talking about this. He is the author of the book, Underground Bases and Tunnels, What is the Government Trying to Hide? He worked with a number of government agencies. The average depth of these bases is over one mile, and they are again, they again are basically whole cities underground. They have nuclear-powered laser drilling machines that can drill a tunnel seven miles long in one day. Note, the September 1983 issue of Omni on page 80 has a color drawing of the subterrane. The Los Alamos nuclear-powered tunnel machine that burrows through rock deep underground by heating whatever stone it encounters into molten rock. The Black Project sidestepped the authority of Congress, which we know is illegal. There's much hard evidence out there. Many will react with fear, terror, and paranoia, but you must snap out of it and wake up from the brainwashing your media pumps into your heads all day long. Are you going to be a rabbit in the headlights, or are you going to stand up and say enough is enough? The U.S. government, through the NSA, the DOD, CIA, DIA, ATF, ONI, U.S. Army, U.S. Marine Corps, FEMA, and the DHS has spent in excess of $12 trillion building a massive covert infrastructure for the coming one world government and the new world religion over the past 40 years. There is the deep underground military base underneath Denver International Airport, which is over 22 miles in diameter and goes down over eight levels. There is no coincidence that the CIA relocated the headquarters of its domestic division, which is responsible for operations in the United States, from the CIA's Langley headquarters to Denver. Constructed in 1995, the government and politicians were hell-bent on building this airport in spite of it ending up vastly over budget. Charges of corruption, constant construction company changes, and mass firings of teams once they built a section of their work was reported so that no one group had any idea what the blueprint of the airport was. Compartmentalizing is how they do it. Yep. Not only did locals not want this airport built, nor was it needed, but everything was done to make sure it was built despite that. Masonic symbols and bizarre artwork of dead babies, burning cities, and women in coffins comprised in extensive murals as well as a time capsule, none of which is featured in the airport's website section dealing with unique artwork throughout the building. DIA serves as a cover for the last underground facilities that were built there. Denver International Airport is DIA. It serves as a cover for the underground facilities. There are reports of electronic magnetic vibrations which make some people sick and cause headaches and others. There are acres of fenced-in areas that have barbed wire pointing to the areas if, if to keep people keep things in. And small concrete stacks that resemble many cooling towers rise out of acres of nowhere to apparently vent underground levels. The underground facility is 88.3 square miles deep. Basically, this underground base is eight cities on top of each other. The holding capacity of such a Leviathanic base is huge. These city-sized bases can now can hold millions and millions of people, whether they are mind-controlled, enslaved, NWO army soldiers, or innocent enslaved surface dwellers from towns and cities of America and Canada. So that's all we got on that for this week but we will continue that another time. But let me remind you after we're just reading that and if there are these underground facilities and you think about all the, all the land, the, the natural land of each state and how most of it is owned by national parks or some sort of government entity, is there something going on underground? I mean, just by eminent domain and taking possession of large swaths of land, wouldn't they make it possible to develop something that nobody's eyes would be on? Anyways, we're going to go into where these bases are, what cities, what kind of tunnel systems, and there's going to be a map available. I will post this PDF in the show notes so you guys can check it out yourself. Next, we're going to talk about, I know we've talked about crazy lizard reptilian vril parasites, but we're going to talk about that again this time. 
the article that is linked below is divided into various sections showing the history of the Vril Society and the types of human clones, the Vril lizard reptilian parasites, and the soul scalping droning process, which we've talked about on the show before. This is the AKA the Black Eye Club. So I don't know if you remember the little alien goes in through the eye and then just like wraps itself around the brain and controls the person. The executed doubles, actors wearing basically hyperflesh skin masks, and even clone aid clones. According to a U.S. Navy whistleblower, William Tompkins, it was the draconian reptilian aliens that initially supplied the SS Nazis with all sorts of advanced futuristic technologies. This includes the UFO UAP spacecrafts, beam weapons, particle beam weapons, excuse me, biotech genetic research, human cloning technology, age regression technology. He was commissioned by the U.S. Navy as a disseminator of aircraft research and information as demonstrated by his U.S. Naval Air Station statement of mission, tasks, and objectives. And this is how he obtained his information. He was on, he was able to whistleblow. So on April 4th, 2016, Dr. Michael E. Sala, he released a TV interview where William Tompkins revealed how these reptilian consultants were helping the Nazi SS develop advanced weapons technologies. He said that if, that they had these consultants who were like reptilian consultants assisting on all these different things, what it takes to design and build these spacecraft carriers and propulsion systems, well-developed program, documented like crazy. Lots of copies of the documents were hard for them, hard for our spies. It was an open program in the upper level of the SS. Spies learned that the goal of the reptilian plan was not only to assist the Nazis to win the war and, sh and achieve planetary conquest, but to build fleets of anti-gravity spacecraft carriers that could be used for interplanetary conquest in other systems. But it went way beyond that. It went beyond the world conquest. And they say that this is just the tip of the iceberg. Reptilians were already doing it on other planets all over the, this area of the galaxy. These operatives couldn't believe of half of what they brought back and what was going on, but some of them were really good people and they knew how to get into these places and to listen what was going on to find out what the hell was going on so they could share with the rest of us, right? Tompkins' information is very scary. It's not the first time claims have been made about the Nazi Germans receiving extraterrestrial help. The father of German rocket scientist Hermann Oberth said the following in response to a question about Nazi Germany's rapid technological development. We cannot take credit for our record advancement in certain scientific fields alone. We have been helped. He said, by whom? Or, you know, they asked him by whom, and he replied, the people of other worlds. In a 1998 interview with Linda Moulton Howe, she's awesome, a former CIA agent who from 1957 to 1960 was given access to highly classified briefing files, said that the documents revealed that the Nazis had indeed been helped by ETs in their advanced aeronautical weapons projects. William Tompkins also specified that the reptilians helped the Nazis to build the subterranean underground bases in Antarctica, where human cloning still occurs to this day in secrecy. An important connection to notice here is that the Vril Society essentially gave birth to the Nazi society. The Vril Society is one of the most influential of the occultist groups in post-World War I Germany. Many of Germany's social elite were members of Vril, meaning the light force. And Lucifer is known as the light bearer to secret societies like Freemasonry and the Illuminati. The true nature of Nazism is being concealed and should be defined as Rothschildism, especially considering that Hitler himself was a Ashkenazi Kazarian Rothschild, pushing blatant eugenics and the Nazi world order. Now, we have come to understand that Hitler was both Ashkenazi Kazarian Rothschild Illuminati bloodline descendant and a member of the Vril Society. And these bloodlines are believed to be a Luciferian reptilian humanoid hybrid race. Say that three times fast. <laughs> Luciferian reptilian humanoid hybrid race that is controlling our world via these secret societies and infiltrating all levels of, of society. The Vril Society were also Luciferians that practice child sacrifice. And as you will learn, 
The real lizard reptilians require stem cell rich blood or flesh to survive in a cloned body or a human body they have consumed the soul of. So the commonality between the Vril Society, the Vril Lizard Reptilians, and the Illuminatis, which encompasses the Freemasons, Jesuits, Kazarians, and Zionists, is, is child sacrifice to feed their Dra Draco Reptilian overlords. I know this is way out there, guys, but that's what Fringe with Benefits is for, man. So we must clarify that human cloning is very real and illegal in most countries around the world, but it still goes on in Canada, carried out by a company known as CloneAid. It was initially founded in 1997 based on the ideas of Rail Cloud Vorolon, who founded the Raylon, Raylion UFO-based religion known as Raylism or Raylianism. I've never heard of this. It was in 1974, promoted liberalism with a strong emphasis on sexual experimentation and sees cloning as the, the first step in achieving physical immortality. CloneAid is not hiding in its slightest on their website, declaring themselves the pioneers in human cloning, which is nothing compared to the archived screenshots from their website in 2009. They are provided in this article because they have removed that content from their website. As of late 2018, the musician known as Kid Boo, <laughs> B-U-U, started openly speaking out on Vlad TV, stating that he was a second-generation cloned version of himself produced by CloneAid, and that his model number was 0112568. During the interview, he affirms his beliefs in realism regarding physical immortality through cloning, and then shouts out CloneAid before stating that his first generation wrote in his will for the rail movement to clone him should anything happen to him, and that he was walking proof of transfer of consciousness. This was initially received as a mere conspiracy theory thought to be used to garner him attention and publicity to promote his music. That was up until he vindicated himself on Instagram Live by showing his CloneAid access card and CloneAid sweater, both with matching model number of 0112568. And then followed by a second and third generations of himself sitting side by side. I don't know if you guys have seen these weird videos. I have. They're weird, okay? Maybe it is a publicity stunt. Maybe it's the fucking truth. Anyways, on two interview occasions for Glass Onion, Janelle Monet admitted to having clones. First on October 17th, 2022 during an AP interview, followed by December 19th, 2022 in an NME interview. She explained she has multiple clones under contract in order to get so much done, including a clone for family, film, music, and personal life. Okay, all these types of clones and doubles used by this secret society or these elite weirdos that use all this fancy technology to keep themselves alive forever. So number one, we've got actual clones. This one is grown in a test tube known as in vitro, or in vitro or implanted in a womb, having the identical genetic makeup to another person. Number two is synthetic people. These people look every bit as real as a real person, but they're made of certain tissues extracted from cattle or something else. Three, organic robotoids. This is an artificial life created totally different from clones or synthetics. Or organic robotoid technology is being used to make exact as possible copies of important people. We've all seen the weird videos of Joe Biden and how his, how he's changed. And it's just weird. Maybe he's got an organic robotoid. And then number four, there are doubles lookalikes, which we all know exist. This is an ongoing program to find lookalikes for prominent people, as well as a program to create a secret identical twin, which are separated at birth, never see each other. We have all seen the movie, um, The Devil's Double. And I think that's about Saddam Hussein's son. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch it because it's, it's amazing. It's really good. So these actors, clones, or doubles can be taken over by Vril Lizard Reptilian Parasites. This is a method of shape-shifting opposed to what we've traditionally been conditioned to believe. And we've talked about this before, how the Vril can inject their proboscis into the human eye in a droning process known as body snatching, where the lizard parasite takes over the human brain and abandons its, its reptile body. When the Vril injects its proboscis, a thick cerebro cerebrospinal fluid is injected into the human eye socket, which goes to the brain where a chemical transformation begins occurring. 
This cerebrospinal fluid into the human eye socket is believed to be carrying avril lizard parasite similar to the nematode worm parasite found in the French Pyrenees wall lizard embryo's brain. It is believed that the soul is fully consumed by this parasite within two weeks and the victim essentially dies, leaving the parasite in complete control of the brain to function. To prevent a physical breakdown of the body, the vril needs to ingest regular amounts of stem cell-rich blood best found in babies. This could explain why aborted babies are such a lucrative business for Planned Parenthood, maybe. And they will settle for adrenochrome to tide itself over when its preferred choice is not available. These vril vampires can get very old, but the vril will eventually need to migrate to a new host. Um, and then they give a clip, says that it's believed to be a white hat military alliance fighting what seems to be one of these vril reptilians. It's believed somewhere in Afghanistan in the beginning of the clip, you could see the soldier hold up what seems to be a little baby to lure out the lizard. Check out the article for that weirdness. Um, a former CIA chief of disguise, John Mendez, explains how she oversaw equipment used by spies to conceal their identity. These are five-second masks inspired by Hollywood. Technology was developed over a decade. This allows for full facial, facial movement and functionality, blind, like blinking and speaking, can be applied or removed at moment's notice, and were designed to be able to be hidden in the armpit. Unlike its cinematic counterparts, these hyperflesh latex silicone skin masks do not require hours in the makeup chair to apply or remove. Professional-grade hyperflesh latex silicone skin masks cost upwards of $500 and are ready, readily available online on Amazon Hyperflesh Metamorphose Mac Masks, Real Skin Masks Company, and The Masker. Mendez explains the ins and outs of these unique pieces of spy technology that can save your life. Donald Trump has been known to deploy doubles with skin masks for in-person appearances due to the multitude of assassination attempts. Now, not a lot of people believe in this, this lizard people thing. Now, I heard about this when I was really young. I was probably about 12 when I first heard people talk about it. And I always thought, oh man, you know... Look at these weirdo hippies, and you know, just you don't really see the forest for the trees sometimes. And what we can see is just a fraction of what actually exists. So why not, right? Well, according to a public policy polling survey, around 12 million people in the U.S. believe these lizards in people suits rule our country. Uh, this article says that conspiracy theories in general are not necessarily bad, according to psychologists who study them. Rob Brotherton, an academic psychologist and author of Suspicious Minds, Why We Believe in Conspiracy Theories, said, if we're all completely trusting, it would not be good for survival. Sometimes people really don't have our best interests in mind, but when people leap from thinking their boss is trying to undermine them to believing their boss might be a secret lizard person, they're probably crossed from what psychologists refer to as prudent paranoia into illogical territory. So the reason I'm reading this article because it's really important for us to grasp what everybody's being told about people who entertain ideas such as conspiracy theories or really radical ideas. To elaborate further, about 66 million Americans believe that aliens landed at Roswell or crashed, we should say, and around 22 million people believe the government faked the moon landing. Around 160 million believe that there's a conspiracy surrounding the assassination of U.S. President John F. Kennedy. Brotherton says the government does mention that they conspire to do the unspeakable, such as the infamous 1930s Tuskegee study, initiated by our U.S. government to examine untreated syphilis from African-American men. Researchers blocked research participants from receiving penicillin or exiting the experiment to get treatment. This study continued until a media report made it public. Can you believe that? A whistleblower had to put a stop to this. Believing the government was conspiring to keep people sick would have been completely accurate. And I wonder, like, don't we think that now? Hmm. I wonder if this is all going to come out in the wash. There are characteristics that help differentiate conspiracy theories from prudent paranoia, he says. Let's see what he has to say. 
Conspiracy theories tend to depend on conspirators who are unduly evil, with genocide or world domination as a motive. They also tend to assign an unusually high level of competency to the conspirators, pointing out that when the government really does shady stuff, it often isn't able, able to keep it a secret. Well, that's not necessarily true, but the people that are inside these projects, they have a conscience and they know that it's wrong. Some of them, I should say. Not everybody can be bought. Research has shown that feelings of powerlessness and uncertainty, uncertainty, are associated with a tendency to believe in conspiracies, says Karen Douglas. I already don't like this lady. She is a professor of social, psych social psychology from the University of Kent in the United Kingdom. Joseph Usinki, associate professor of political science at the University of Miami and author of American Conspiracy Theory, says, Conspiracies are for losers. I don't mean it in the pejorative sense, but people who are out of power use conspiracy theories to strategically alert their side to danger, to close ranks, to salve their wounds. Think any election the morning after half the country says the election was rigged and the other half is happy. Studies find a relationship between a certain type of open-mindedness and a tendency to believe in conspiracy theories. But also that people who believe in New Age dogmas, urge urban legends, and all sorts of slightly unorthodox ideas have a tendency to be suspicious, not to trust people or institutions, is positively correlated with how likely someone is to be able to believe in a conspiracy theory. Oh, soft science is funny. So, yeah, they've these people have studied the social consequences to contemporary conspiracy theories. They examine the impact of believing in government conspiracy theories and climate change conspiracy theories and anti-vaccine conspiracy theories. The findings were troublesome. My comment is that this sets up a way of thinking that you must believe everything that you are told, otherwise you are considered paranoid, incompetent, a loser, and that you feel powerless and have to make up all these situations in which some evil is being done in the world. It's pretty interesting that they say that the, there's an impact of people believing in certain things. Yes, yeah, there there would be an impact, but it's like, what are you going to do about it? There's the freedom of thought. Do people really think that it would be acceptable or even beneficial to extinguish freedom of thought? There's probably some out there because it causes problems. I mean, look at the Patriot Act. That wasn't to protect the U.S. They said it was. They said it was, and they named it perfectly the Patriot Act because it is to rid the country of patriotism. Anybody who might raise a ruckus or whistleblow or tell stories that are just too audacious. I don't understand how they think that this could potentially even be helpful to society. We're going to shift gears and I'm going to share with you a, a mailbag item. It's a dogman encounter, which, you know, it's another one of those crazy ideas. If you think that there might be Sasquatch out there, can you take the next step up and believe that there might be these huge upright dogs that look like men that are like werewolves? Because <laughs> this was a far reach for me, but you know what? Anything is possible. Like, they're creating mini black holes with the Haldron Collider over there. And if they can crash two particles together and open up a, um, an opening in our universe, like, what are, what's, the, what's on the other side of that? What could be the repercussions of that? It's multidimensionality. And the multiverse theory says that all things are possible all the time and that all variations of reality exist simultaneously. So why couldn't there be a werewolf? I mean, we just learned about vampires, a potential for a vampiric race or species that thrives on the blood of the young and the flesh of the young. 
Why couldn't there be some sort of dog hybrid creature that comes through wormholes or portals and shows themselves? Or maybe it's some sort of leviathan creature that feeds off of our fear because there's not a whole lot of reports of them ripping people to shred. You'd think that a werewolf would kill or maim or attack, but they don't seem to. So please remember that Fringe with Benefits does have a mailbag. It loves to receive mail. You can send an email to fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Okay, this Dogman Encounter is from Snohomish County, Washington. I'm going to leave the link to this website because there's there's a map of where all over the world, all these Dogman Encounters, and there's some really great stories about people seeing something really weird. And I know I say weird a lot, so things that are really bizarre and odd. <laughs> okay, it goes. My first encounter happened late at night while driving home to Snohomish from Sultan the two towns being about 10 miles apart. I was with my mother and we had just finished dropping a friend off at her home in Sultan. It was late October and there was an unusual storm going on that night that everyone talked about the following day. Tremendous cloud to cloud lightning and very cold dry wind with no rain, bright flashes of light, loud thunder, and lots of leaves blowing around. After dropping our friend off, we were on a stretch of the road that is very dark with a farmland on either side of the highway. This is highway two both sides having densely wooded hills. We were driving a 1991 Honda Accord, and at this one particular spot in the road, something caught my eye off to the left side, which was a farm field, and there was a break in the guardrail for a dirt road going into the field. Right when we were even to this break, I saw what looked like a huge dog coming up, and right then, it ran in front of our cart, and I hit it. We could see the top of its back, which we both swear looked more like a hyena at this point than a dog. It had to be huge to see its back over the hood of the car. And when you're sitting pretty low to the ground in a Honda Accord, its fur was shaggy brown and mottled with dark spots, just like a hyena, and its front seemed higher than its back. The headlights lit it up as it ran right in front of our car, and we could feel it get hit, but it didn't see it go either up in the air or off to the right side of the car. It was just running from the left side of the highway to the right. We were driving westward. I sent my car into an uncontrollable swerve back and forth into the oncoming lane, and I just prayed that I could get it under control to keep from getting into a head-on collision with what looked like to be maybe a Ford Aerostar van. A calmness came over me, and I felt like my guardian angel had taken control of the steering because we missed the van by just a few inches. After going a little ways further, we were both so shook up, I pulled off to the side. My mother wanted to go look for the dog because we both love animals and felt bad about hitting something, but I had a bad feeling about looking for this dog because it it looked so strange and I was afraid of it. It was dark and stormy. I didn't feel safe and I just wanted to get home. We got back in the car and stopped at a little gas station when we first got into Monroe, which is the next town between our town and Sultan. We got out to look at the front of my car, thinking surely there would be some evidence of hitting something that large. We were going at highway speed when we hit it, which is about 60 miles per hour. Like a dent, some fur, some blood, but there was nothing there, not a scratch. The whole thing had a very supernatural feel to it. The look of this dog, which was huge and looked more like a hyena, just didn't seem right. Neither did the timing of it running in front of us. Like it wanted to make us stop on the dark stretch of road and get out of my car, which we did but we got right back in. I never saw it on two legs. It ran on all fours, but there was something so calculated about the way it came up to the highway and looked at our car and ran in front of it. It seemed planned. It was such a strange electromagnetic type of storm that night too. The next day, people knew that lived miles and miles apart in many different directions all talked about the storm and one particular loud thunderclap that shook everyone's homes. They all thought it was directly over their house, but they were all miles apart. I have three more encounters which occurred after this one. I'm pretty sure this happened in October 1997, no later than 1998. Ruth T. The next one, it looks like I got another one here. This encounter I'd like to share is not my own, but that of my mother. She used to tell me stories when I was young about strange things that she had experienced in her life. I remember this dogman type of encounter while listening to your show on YouTube. There's not 
particularly a lot of detail on this encounter, but what you may find interesting is the location. The sighting took place in Sacramento, California, around 1953, not too far from our state's capital. Using Google Maps to get an approximate location and a lay of the land, I can see the sighting area was about a thousand feet to the west of and perpendicular to the American River. Across the river from the east bank, it's only about another 2,000 feet east to the state capital, so this took place fairly close to a heavily populated area. My mother states when she was about 12 years old, she was laying on the couch watching television, and that's when she noticed a scary dog face looking at her through her, a low-pane window. The window was either on or by the door. I am unclear on this fact. In any event, the head, she said, must have been about two, two and a half feet above the ground. She covered her face in fright with her pillow. After a minute or so, she snuck a peek, figuring she must be imagining things. She saw it and she saw it was gone and felt a little better. Then she noticed that it was now looking through another higher window. Its head was now about four to four and a half feet above ground. According to her recollection, there was nothing outside that window for a dog to stand on. At that point, she just ran to another room in terror. She doesn't really recall what happened after that. She describes the animal as being dark gray with glowing red eyes, seemingly panting or baring its teeth. She didn't see the body, but had the impression that it was thin. Unfortunately, she doesn't recall the day, time of day, month, or season. My parents tell me it's likely some American Indian burial grounds in the area, as there have been excavations near the river, which yielded Native American arrowheads and other artifacts. I know it's been mentioned here in some of the encounters you've presented, a proximity to rivers and Native American burial grounds. I even asked my mother if there were cornfields around the area since that too had been mentioned in the encounters. She said that only a small patch of corn stalks in their own backyard existed. I don't think that qualifies. The area around my grandparents' house was not really wooded. The neighborhood was mostly large fields with a few horses and some cattle. The areas around the rivers are wooded now, and probably a lot more so in 1953 than is today. Another paranormal story about this area is that on Monster Quest's episode detailing the Mothman, someone supposedly was taking dusk or night shot pictures of the Tower Bridge in 2009 and saw a flying humanoid shape or something fly off of the bridge. The Tower Bridge is in the thousand foot range from my grandparents' house. Spooky. Anonymous. See the description box below for the Dogman sighting map. Okay, next, regarding, okay, this is, this is regarding extinct species and why we can't ever really say if something's totally extinct for sure or not. We, I mean, we've only got our two, own two eyes. We've only got a fair number of experienced and qualified researchers to make such determinations. So there's a lot out there that still hasn't been explored or discovered and we really must keep an open mind and this story is proof of just that. A clam has made a comeback from extinction off the shores of Croatia. The clam known as the noble pen shale or pinna nobilis started dying out as a deadly pathogen spread in parts of the Mediterranean around 2016. Numbers plummeted across the region, and until recently, scientists in Croatia only knew of about 10 surviving in their corner of the Adriatic. Then last year, a diver spot, spotted a group of 20 near the shore in the north of the Istria Peninsula. The clams whose shells can grow as much as four feet across play an important ecological role by filtering seawater and allowing other organisms to flourish. That's a big-ass clam, guys huge. Okay, so now we're going to switch gears again and kind of go back to the whole, does the, the blood of the youth keep us young? Does it have age reversal effects? Well, some scientists say so. And this comes from a mainstream news source, HowStuffWorks.com science section. A California startup called Ambrosia is offering human clinical trials where they can inject the blood of teenagers and 20-somethings into an older person to find out if it had any effect on aging. 
at a price. It's pretty expensive. About 1.5 liter transfusions cost $8,000 to the study participant. So you'd think that they would be paying you, but no, you got to pay them to participate in the study, which is kind of crazy to me because why would I pay someone to inject me with blood for a study that I'm not even sure if it works? There's too many risks involved in that, you would think. I think people actually know that this works. They, they know that it works. And so just for namesake that they're doing a research study, but they're collecting funds for that. Hmm. And I'm also wondering, like, if you donate blood, you, you know, you, you're a blood donor, does the, heart, does the hospital charge you to receive donated blood? And how are they able to run a market? Why is there a market for blood if it's all through donation? That's just a little side thought. 200 people enrolled in the study, which was completed on January 15th, 2018. You can find this study on clinicaltrials.gov. In the 1950s, there was a Franken-style process called parabiosis, and this is where scientists sewed the circulatory system of a young mouse to that of an old mouse. Studies showed that the organs of the older mice became healthier thanks to the presence of younger blood. Out of 69 rodent pairs, 11 did die of parabiotic disease. This is a form of tissue rejection, but the other pairs, the effects were noticeably positive. Young mice were overall unaffected, either negatively or positively, being sewn to their new counterpart parts, but it seemed the closer the genetic relationship between the subjects, the less likely there was parabiotic disease, which... And we kind of know that. Stanford University's Tony Weiss Carre criticized the study mostly because of how Ambrosia charged the participants, which is my criticism too, and how they designed the study. Him himself led a 2014 anti-aging study that made great strides in aging research. He is working on a study with his company, Alcahes, to find out the effects of young blood on 18 people with Alzheimer's at no charge to the participants. It's not really a surprise that private businesses would be interested in this stuff. And the anti-aging industry is a $250 billion business in the U.S. alone. Alone. Okay. Switching gears to a real world subject, I kind of just wanted to touch on the youth homeless crisis in Washington State. There's a lady named Julie Barrett who testifies regarding her 14-year-old being taken by mental health officials because of an issue she had with wanting to take her own life. They held her for 10 days and couldn't, wouldn't let her parents see her. And then, she, as I guess, you know, after the 10 days she was released and she was back on the streets again, now she's 17 and she is still homeless due to a particular House bill, which we're going to talk about, Governor Jay Inslee signed into law HB 1905, introduced by State Rep. Tanya Sen. She is a Democrat from Mercer Island, to and this is to provide more services and resources to, to help young people have access to housing when they're leaving a publicly funded system of care, such as foster care, behavioral health care, or juvenile rehabilitation. Sen said no young person should be released into homelessness after they've been in a system of care by providing the supports youth and young adults need to find and keep safe and stable housing. We can break the cycle of homelessness before it starts. There are four approaches that legislation lays out that provide flexibility to help meet these young people's needs in local communities that have different gaps and strengths. One approach requires the Department of Children, Youth, and Families and the Office of Homeless Youth to create a rapid response team that connects young people who are exiting systems of care and at risk of homelessness with services. Another approach directs the Office of Homeless Youth to provide a flexible system of care grants that support youth, including through housing and financial support, behavioral health, legal assistance, case management, and education and employment support. All of those are good things. I'm wondering what's the caveat though? Why why is this daughter of Julie Barrett still homeless? I think she has drug issues probably because of her mental health issues. They didn't do anything for her at 14. 
why the fuck is she still homeless if we've got House Bill 1905? Kim Justice, executive director for the Office of Homeless Youth, says that House Bill 1905 advances the state's goal that all youth exiting public systems of care exit to safe and stable housing. The data is clear on why this is important. Youth and young adults served in foster care, juvenile justice, and inpatient behavioral health are in increased risk of homelessness when they exit. It's our responsibility as a state to ensure that young people are transitioned into stable environments that we don't create pipelines into homelessness, which is exactly what they're fucking doing. They have created a business out of homelessness. So Sen adds, um, in 2018, the legislator passed a bill, SB 6560, committing to not releasing youth into homelessness from public systems of care. While we unfortunately didn't provide the tools needed to accomplish this, that changes with this new law. Um, HB, the new one, 1905, passed both in the House and the Senate with bipartisan support. It really makes you wonder, it makes you need to further investigate why Julie Barrett is crying out for help for her daughter because of this House bill. I don't, I don't understand it. This episode, we are coming back with our Inward Survivals School of Magic. I think I need to rename it. I mean, it's a turnoff. People, some people don't like magic. Oh, shit. Better not practice magic or you are a heathen. By golly. I really don't agree with that sentiment. That is the, the last thing we need to argue about is how we worship and what God we believe in. It's a personal choice. Keeping that in mind, is the easier and softer way better than the hard way? A lot of people say, you know, I do it this way because it's just so much easier. Or this, I like these life hacks. That, you know, they, they seem so effortless and it's just super easy for me to get this done. But really, wouldn't you say that having it easy becomes an epidemic on society. Doesn't it make us weaker if we don't have to struggle? Well, the art of manliness has a lot to say on that. So if you don't listen to the art of manliness podcast, I really think you should. It's really good. You know, you know me and philosophy. So they say that this easy epidemic has reached every aspect of our culture from health to education to relationships. People do not want to work out and eat healthy because it's hard. According to the creators of a thousand different diets promising a great body with little to no effort, why waste time reading a whole book when you can get the gist from cliff notes? In relationships, working through your marriages can be difficult, so go ahead and divorce them. Leave that person because you deserve to be with someone who adores for you, adores you, doesn't feel bad about ending things, moving on to someone new who will better meet your needs. Instead of actually doing some damn work to figure things out, you need to just go no contact with that person. And that's what people are saying nowadays. Well, at some point, it, it has become acceptable to avoid things because they're hard. Success has become some sort of self-help scavenger hunt with all of us desperately wanting to find an easier way than just grinding it out. I love this. And they say, we cut corners and call it optimizing. We take a path of least resistance and dress up our cowardice in the guise of efficiency. And in doing so, we're killing ourselves with one life hack at a time. There's nothing wrong with working smarter or making things more simple. There's no reason to make something harder than it has to be. We definitely don't want to go back to plowing fields by hand or walking uphill both ways to work and school. But many of us have begun to think if something is hard, it's automatically wrong. We must, it, we must change it or substitute it. We often fail to reach our goals when we substitute harder things for easier things. We rob our character of doing much-needed pruning, and we're missing out on a fundamental truth of manhood. Doing things that are hard molds boys into men of strength and character. Nothing replaces hard work. There are no shortcuts, no five steps to success, and no secrets. This may come either as a blessing or a curse, depending on how one looks at it. But what makes the hard way so important for men is not just the end result, but the character built along the way. The journey we take matters much more than the destination. And how we live our lives each hour, each day, determines the type of people we will be in 10 years. 
we should construct our lives to embrace difficult challenges because it will mold our character into one of discipline and perseverance. In doing hard things on a daily basis, we are training ourselves so that on other days and other situations, we can remain solid. The hard way may be scoffed at as old-fashioned, but it produces in integrity and strength far more meaningful and concrete than any gold star along the way. This method of living produces men and women who remain faithful to their wives, husband, and children. Men who refuse to sacrifice their integrity for short-term results or gain. Men who at the end of the day are fulfilled with the fruit of their labor. And men who finish a marathon rather than simply starting a million sprints. If we can develop in ourselves a certain zeal for the hard things in life, we will reap the benefits for years to come. Not only victories won along the way and character developed, but a fulfilled life at the end of the day. As a legendary football coach, Vince Lombardi once put it, but I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear, is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle victorious. Hell yeah, get out there and do hard things. Our Stoic of the Week is Plato. Dictatorship naturally arises out of democracy, and the most aggravated form of tyranny and slavery out of the most extreme liberty. We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. I exhort you also to take part in the great combat which is the combat of life and greater than every other earthly conflict. Plato. Have a great week. Thank you for joining me this time on Fringe with Benefits.